Good morning once again and welcome. We're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Again, I just want to thank you for being with us and for the privilege I have of standing before you this morning. If you have your Bible, we're in Acts 10. If you're using an app on your phone, that's fine. We're in Acts 10. And for the record, if you're not aware, maybe you're a new believer and you're not aware, there are lots of wonderful apps that you can use on your phone to access the Bible. You can read it from your phone. It will even read to you during deer season. My Bible app is wonderful because it is always with me and I can read it in the dark while I wait for something wonderful to happen early in the mornings. All right, hopefully by now you've made it to Acts chapter 10. We're going to read verses 44 through 48. If you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word as I read. The Bible says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall among us. That just as in the book of Acts, as the word of God is preached, that your Holy Spirit would fall. Father God, there would be evidence, your movement. That Father God, today we would be different because we have been with the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We're a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. We don't always understand the Holy Spirit. And yet, without the Holy Spirit of God, we are nothing but a country club. God's done some wonderful things in our church in the last couple of years. We're up about 40% in attendance since January of 2020. Our giving is up 26% year over year. We baptized 23 people last church year. It seems like about half of y'all who are in this room weren't here three months ago. Everywhere we look, there are new faces and God is doing new things. He's repairing families. I've long prayed that the Lord would do things that only God could get credit for. In my sort of simple vernacular, I often say it would be awesome if there were things that were just so stupid, none of us could take credit for it. When I see things like our budget number exploding, our giving exploding the way that it can, there's really no explanation other than for the Lord to have done it. If it grew by 3%, we go, look at what we did. When it grew by 26%, we go, whoa, where in the world did that come from? And for the record, here's what's even crazier about the whole thing. 
Month by month, we see that giving increase every month. You guys are being unbelievably faithful, and God is blessing this church as a result. But folks, we would be remiss if we didn't spend time considering, thinking about, focusing upon the work of the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the Spirit of God to fall. This week, I got an email from somebody who doesn't live here. And I was reminded that God's work spreads far and wide. Somebody shared the sermon from last week by email with somebody else who emailed me to thank me for the impact that it had. Y'all, do you understand that you've got the opportunity right now to make an impact in the lives of others? We talked last week about communicating the Word of God, sharing the good news of the gospel. There's so many ways that you can do that. Do you know somebody today who may desperately need to hear the word that's being preached? Maybe they're not here. Maybe they wouldn't come with you. Send them an email. Send them a text message. Send them a link. Hey, if you know they're sitting at home right now and they need to hear a word of hope from God's word, this is the first time I'm ever going to do this. Maybe the only time. Pull your phone out right now and text them the link. They can watch live. Wouldn't that be something? If God used you to break all the rules of church life and you sent a text message in the middle of church and somebody got saved as a result of it, let me tell you something, that's kind of the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit has a way of working against our best expectations, our, our, our thoughts. Let me just tell you how the Holy Spirit works against our best expectations. In February of this year, I worked with some other folks and put together a very ambitious plan of growth for our church body and what we expected it to look like. The month of August, our average attendance in August was what we had projected that attendance to be at the end of 2024 or early 2025. This is what the Holy Spirit of God does. But it's easy for us to look only at the sort of macro things about numbers and rear ends and seats and budgets. I want you to be reminded today that the Holy Spirit of God visits households and individuals. And the Holy Spirit of God changes lives. See, we've been in the book of Acts now for a number of months. And here for two weeks now, we've been in Cornelius' household. Three weeks ago, we saw... Or I guess two weeks ago, whatever, two weeks from today. Yes, two, yes, that's what I meant. We saw how the Lord spoke to Peter and sent him to Cornelius' house. Last week we saw how Peter obeyed and went. And today what we're going to look at is how the Lord God changed a household through the ministry of the Word of God. How the Holy Spirit fell on one household and how that one household became a signpost for all the world to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, if you're here today, I hope that you'll celebrate with me the work of the Holy Spirit in our church body. But if you're here today, I believe the distinct possibility exists that God has you here, not only so that you could celebrate the movement of the Holy Spirit in this church body, but so that you could experience the movement of the Holy Spirit in your home, in your family, and in your personal life. 
And see, I believe the possibility exists that God has you here today because the Holy Spirit has an intention in your life right now. I believe some of you are here today because you need a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and God brought you here today so that you could be saved. How does the Holy Spirit give evidence of God's grace? I understand that when we think about the Holy Spirit, it seems a little bit weird. I mean, if we're just being honest, right? Some of you live with that old kind of concept, the Holy Ghost. It's a terrible translation. Don't ever call him the Holy Ghost. Okay? But the Holy Spirit is a person, not a ghost, a person, right? A part of the Trinity of the Godhead. It's one of those complicated doctrines that we can't really wrap our brains around, but it's part of what makes God so worthy of our worship and praise, that he exists eternally as a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me remind you that the Holy Spirit is not the lesser of the three, that there is no greater of the three. They, the three exist in a unity, co-equal with one another, in perfect harmony and relationship. And the Holy Spirit is God's blessing upon his people to enable us to bring about God's purposes and live according to God's plan, which is, as you might be reminded, to live in accordance with God's created intentions for all of us. So how does the Holy Spirit give evidence of God's grace? I want to point out three big things in this text this morning. There may be others. I'm confident there are others. And if you could preach the sermon better, then next Sunday we'll let you do it. But there are three things I'd like for us to see this morning. The first thing we see in this passage of Scripture is that the Holy Spirit brings about salvation. The Bible says while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit brings about the salvation of men and women and boys and girls. Folks, when we think about what it looks like for us to go into all the world and proclaim the good news the gospel of Jesus Christ... One of the things that we need to be doing regularly is praying that the Holy Spirit of God would get there before we do. Because without the infilling power of the Holy Spirit, my words fall on deaf ears. People need the Lord to work in their lives. Salvation is a gift of the Father, purchased by the Son, and imparted by the Holy Spirit. It is a gift of the Father, purchased by the Son with His death on the cross. We sang about that just a few moments ago. Y'all probably could hear me singing in the back. Boy, I was having a good time singing this morning. So it's purchased by the Son's blood on the cross in His victorious resurrection. And then it is imparted by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God that imparts it, that brings it upon us. How is it that the Holy Spirit brings about our salvation? Hey, keep in mind the Holy Spirit, let me just say this, the salvation's Trinitarian, don't miss that. We sometimes use language that is confusing about the, what salvation actually is. Well, Jesus saved me. Well, Jesus did save me, but that doesn't mean that the Father and, and the Spirit were excluded from that process of salvation. Salvation is Trinitarian. Folks, our prayers should be Trinitarian. We pray to the Father through the shed blood of Jesus. In other words, it is the blood of Jesus that gives us access to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. 
So when you pray, you pray, Dear Heavenly Father, as Jesus did, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. All of that with the understanding that the Spirit intercedes, as Paul tells us, on our behalf, even giving utterance to our prayers, and we don't know what we should pray. Y'all ever have that moment in time where you just wish you had the right word and you can't find it? One of my kids yesterday was trying to explain something to me, and he said... Well, there's a word for it. I said, well, what's the word? He said, I don't know. If I knew the word, I would tell you the word. I can't remember it. How many times have we been that way in prayer? There surely must be a word to these feelings. But I can't seem to find the word. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf in those groanings and in those those pains with words that we can't find. Salvation's Trinitarian. It's a gift. But what does salvation look like? How is the Holy Spirit involved? Let me give you some things. Listen, this is going to be kind of lecture-like. Brace yourself. I think it's super important. First, we see that the Holy Spirit is involved in calling and conviction. Calling and conviction. John 16, 8 says, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit of God convicts us of our sin. Some of you, and I'm convinced, I'm telling you, I am convinced today. There are some of you who are in this room or are watching at home. You might have received this sermon emailed to you this week and you're receiving it or you're hearing it live today because the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you of the sin in your life. Today, as I say those words... Here's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. I don't have to tell you the particular sins because when I say that the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you, some of you in this moment already recognize exactly the sin in your life that you need to be repenting of. Some of you know that the greatest sin in your life today is that you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. That heaviness... That sadness, that grieving that you feel in your heart is the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God. And God sends it to us not to condemn us, but so that we might be saved. God's conviction coming through His Holy Spirit is a gift of His grace, warning you of danger ahead and drawing you to Himself. So the Spirit of God calls and convicts us of our sin. The second thing the Holy Spirit does in salvation is the Holy Spirit is responsible for regeneration. That is that God quickens our hearts so that we might be able to receive that holy or that, that salvation from Jesus. Ephesians 2 um, says, and you were dead, but you've been made together with, made alive together with Christ. There's this quickening that's responsible. That's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. There's our conversion. With the mouth one confesses and is saved, is what Paul says in Romans 10.10. That the Lord sends the Holy Spirit of God to dead humans and stirs our heart and awakens within us the power, the desire, the drive, and the ability to call upon Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are justified in salvation. With the heart one believes and is justified. This is the instantaneous delivery from death to life. This is the instantaneous moment in which God declares you justified. 
I know I said that in a good preacher voice. What does it mean? It means that we are guilty in our sin, but the moment that we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, in that moment, the stamp on our case file is marked justified, clean, saved. The Holy Spirit adopts us. Let me, let me just back up for a second. As I walk through these things, it could be really easy for us to sort of seem like there's this long process. All of this is happening instantaneously in the heart of a believer. Okay? All of this is happening instantaneously. There's even theological argument about exactly what the process is in which all these things take place. Do you understand what we preachers can argue about? We can argue about things that all take place within about a half a second, and we're trying to argue about which one comes first. Let me just tell you, don't worry about the argument, just know this. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you are saved, period. In that moment. You say, Craig, I don't know if God's calling me. Folks, let me tell you something. If you call on the name of the Lord, you're called. I promise you that he will save you in that moment. And when he saves you, watch this. He adopts you. He makes you his own. We're going to look at this a little bit more in depth in just a moment. But that's the Holy Spirit of God that draws you in. Marks you. God, the Bible says that God seals us with his Holy Spirit. He gives us a new name. And that name is kind of like Craig, Holy Spirit Thompson. In other words, I belong to him. I'm all wrapped up in whatever God's surname is. I got it. You understand that? He doesn't actually have one. But if he did, it would be mine. And the moment that you were saved would be your adoption day. Boom. In that moment, everything changed for me. I went from guilty to not guilty. I went from dead to alive, from sinner to saved. The Bible says that's what happened when Peter went and preached the gospel there in Cornelius' house. See, the Bible sort of puts all this stuff real quickly. When Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And they said, well, I didn't see anything in there where it says that they did any of these things. Let me tell you something. The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and that when we call the name of the Lord, we're saved. When we confess with our mouth, we are saved. So what do I know happened? I know that when, G when Peter began to preach, the Holy Spirit fell. These people were made well aware of the sin in their lives. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they did, he sent the seal of his Holy Spirit. In that moment, they knew that they were adopted as his children. I'm a little excited about this. But he doesn't stop there. Next comes sanctification. What is that? That means that this was the beginning for Cornelius' household. This is the place where they started. When I was in the ninth grade, I had the opportunity, the curse, um, to participate in a 4x100, no, 4x400 meter relay. A 4x100 is easy. Okay? Anybody can run 100 yards. You can do that, okay? You think you, can run, or you think you can run 400 meters, but you can't. And this is why you can't. It's because you think you can. See, that's why. That's where they get you. It's crazy. It's, it's a ridiculously horrible race to run. Let me run a mile or six miles. Don't ask me to run 400 meters in the race you. And this is why. Because I'm going to smoke you for the first 300 meters. I mean, I'm going to come out of those blocks. And some of y'all are going, you don't know me. Let me tell you something. You are by, I'm going I'm to hurt you for 100 meters. And then I'm going to stretch that lead out. These long legs of mine are going to make something happen in the second hundred meters. And I'm going to come into the third turn. 
or excuse me, yeah, into the third, and I'm going to look like the man, and I'm going to come out of the fourth turn, and I am going to die in that place. You understand? Like, all of a sudden, everything I was living for passes before my eyes, and I'm going to watch all of y'all run on past me unless y'all were dumb enough to run it just the same way I did. The longer a race goes, the worse I get. You understand? I'm going to get slower and slower and slower until eventually I just die. I mean, maybe literally. I'm not sure. The Bible says that as followers of Jesus Christ, the race that we've been called out to live, to run, we don't get worse as it progresses. The Holy Spirit of God is working in our lives to sanctify us. Spiritually, we're aging in reverse. Because the Holy Spirit of God is building within us vitality and joy and hope. He's changing us. We're going from the curse of sin, reverting into the intended created purposes of God. We're looking more like Jesus every single day. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Warning, you say, Craig, I don't think that's my life. Beware. This is what believers are supposed to look like, more like Jesus year after year. The Holy Spirit of God does that work in our lives. The Holy Spirit of God is responsible for our perseverance, our preservation, if you will. John 14, 3, or excuse me, John 10, 10, 29, Jesus said, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The Holy Spirit holds us there, keeps us safe. We're secure. And folks, even though this isn't exactly the work of the Holy Spirit, what is the final Stage in our salvation. Please don't ever forget it. It's glorification. Jesus didn't save us to leave us right here and to give us our best life now. He saved us to give us our best life later. You understand? Jesus said to his disciples, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And where I am, there you will be also. Folks, the Holy Spirit brings about salvation. The Holy Spirit does a lot of other things. But let's not miss this. The Holy Spirit is responsible for bringing about salvation. This is why, as we talked about just a few weeks ago, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to share the gospel of Jesus and to see others come to Christ because the Holy Spirit's doing the work on your behalf. This is why I can preach with confidence, not because Craig Thompson knows so much, but because the Holy Spirit of God Works in the hearts and lives of believers. And folks, in the bottom of my heart, I believe that he's working in some of your lives today. The Holy Spirit brings about salvation. I believe that somebody here today has been brought to this place to be saved. The Holy Spirit gives evidence of salvation. Listen to me. You know when you've met Jesus. You know when you've met Jesus. Now you know when you like saw Jesus. You know when you experienced Jesus. But I want you to know that you know when you met Jesus. Romans, 15, or Romans 8, 15, 16 says, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. Folks, God adopts you in your salvation and he gives evidence. You know. Listen, when the Holy Spirit fell at Cornelius' house, they knew. 
Now, it's unique here. We see what one commentator calls the Pentecost of the Gentiles. Now, for the record, for people that have questions about speaking in tongues and things of that nature, how many times were their tongues spoken in the book of Acts? See, we can fall into a, a, an error in believing this was happening around every turn. We got three times in the whole book of Acts. Okay? You got at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles. You've got right here when the Holy Spirit falls among the Gentiles. And then we're going to see one more in a few weeks. It's rare. And here the reason that the Holy Spirit falls in such a way so as to bring about talking in tongues, speaking in tongues among these people is this reason. So that the circumcision, those who are circumcised and are gathered there will know that the Gentiles have experienced the same thing that they experienced. Like, don't miss it. They go, oh, wow, something crazy happened right here. No, not just something crazy. Here's what they were saying. The same thing that happened to us happened to them. Holy cow, the Lord can come to them too. Remember when I told you I want God to do things that are so out, outrageous, so outside the box that only he can receive the glory? Listen, when that happened the first time, surely the apostles went, well, that'll never happen again. When I was in high school, me and my brothers and uh, some friends like to go and uh, I think high school we like to go and hit baseballs just for fun and uh, there were a couple of um, couple of baseball fields there around my parents house and uh, one of them was at an elementary school it's where we played little league ball and we would go up there and we would we would hit every once in a while um, but uh, the the school building is beyond the left field fence and we were out there uh, one afternoon, one Sunday afternoon, and just kind of hitting some BP, and, uh, and I, I launched one. Now, keep in mind, y'all, um, they had to throw it really slow for me to pull all this off, okay? But I did. I launched one, and it's going straight for this big brick building, and I was like, oh, no, it's going to hit the building. No big deal, except there's one glass door in this gigantic wall of a brick building. One glass door. And that ball centered that glass door and it sounded like a bomb went off but it was safety glass with all that wire in it and it didn't bust like it left a mark on the window but it didn't bust oh we all took a deep breath and we said well we got that out of the way that'll never happen again three pitches later what did I do I hit the door again we went home, all right? We packed up and left. We never, we never hit there again. There's a, reason, there's a reason that my kids don't go hit there because I'm afraid. There are certain situations in life that you go, well, that happened once. We'll never see that again. Listen, the apostles went, man, that, we'll never see that again. That outpouring of the Spirit of God, we'll never see that. And then, lo and behold, they walk into the most unlikely of places, a Gentile centurion's home. The occupiers of their homeland. The uncleanest of the unclean. And there, as Peter preaches, remember, not a home run sermon, just a plain old sermon. Fine, Lord, here it is. I'm going to throw it out there. And boom, the Holy Spirit of God falls upon these people. And they go, it happened again. Folks, you'll know when you've met Jesus. You'll know. The Holy Spirit seals you and makes you his own. Cornelius' people knew by this point they had heard what happened on the day of Pentecost. You understand? And when it happened to them, they went, this is different. 
What's it look like, though? We adopted our two youngest kids, and you know, I never told them to call me dad, ever. Or father, as they do sometimes, just to annoy me. But as they grew into our family quickly, I was daddy, and Angela was mom. And that, because that was the inner testimony of the life they were experiencing. As they lived into our home, they actually liked me. It was great. And they viewed me as their father. The inward testimony of the Holy Spirit causes us to cry out in prayer to God as Father. That's where we are in Romans 8.15, as I read just a minute ago. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, in prayer we find ourselves crying out to the Lord as Father. Folks, this is part of why our vocabulary matters as believers in Jesus. Not because there's a test about which words we're using. But when we speak with believers, we should expect the vocabulary about the Lord to be different than the vocabulary of non-believers. The, the tone and attitude toward the Lord for those who belong to Jesus should carry with it a degree of tenderness, love, and care. If you've been a believer for just a little while, you understand that when you go to the Lord in prayer, when you run to His Word, you find Him to be a comfort, a shoulder upon which you can lean, a shield, a hiding place in times of trouble, streams of water in the desert. This is who He is for us. And the Bible says that we recognize that because God's given us the Holy Spirit as His seal. We recognize the family connection in prayer. Folks, if you don't see Him as Father, Savior, hope, and comfort, let me warn you today. You may not know Him. Now, I know. Let me say, listen. Some of you grew up in bad homes with bad fathers. And, and just the, the thought of a father is terrifying. When you know him, you will know what a father should have been. But it's not just that we know when we've met Jesus. Folks, others know when you've met Jesus. Others know. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They saw it. Now listen, strong possibility here. When you get saved, you're not going to speak in tongues. Okay? So how in the world will, the world will other people know that you've come to Christ? Let me tell you something. If you truly come to Jesus, there's no way in the world they won't know. The Bible says that God imparts to his children the fruit of the Spirit, for instance. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, self-control. Missed one there. 
This is what he gives to his children. He imparts to his kids fruit of the Spirit, spiritual gifts, hope, joy, and change. He brings that about in the lives of his children. And the more time you spend with him, the more you look like him, act like him, walk like him, talk like him. I want to warn you today. If you're not sure you belong to Jesus, if no one else in your life believes you belong to Jesus, don't lie to yourself. There's hope for you, but only in the name of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit of God brings about salvation, gives evidence of salvation. And then finally this morning, the Holy Spirit of God sanctifies believers. Now listen to me. Sanctification is the process of being conformed into the image of God. Sanctification is the process of being formed into the image of God. Right? That's what it means. Over time, I'm going to look more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's working in my life. He's changing my heart. He's molding me, shaping me. Y'all ever known one of those married couples that have been married for like 50 years and they actually look like each other somehow? Ladies, listen, they look like you. You don't look like them. Don't worry. I mean, they really do. They start to look like. How? Some of y'all are going, he better not look like me. Surely I look better than that. Well, you think about it. You're eating the same foods. You're living the same kind of lifestyle. You generally shop in the same places, right? I mean, it just, it just kind of starts to happen. Here's the great news about the sanctification the Holy Spirit brings for believers. God doesn't leave you the way he found you. God doesn't leave you the way he found you. It's okay to not be okay. As a matter of fact, that's the perfect place for God to find you, to pick you up. But guess what? Once he finds you not okay, he's going to make you okay. He won't leave you like that. Broken? Okay. Fine. Guess what he does? He mends broken things. He changes broken lives. He repairs broken hearts. Now the process of sanctification is a lifelong process. As a result... As a believer, we look forward to our personal progress year over year. It's, it's important that, that we not beat ourselves up too much. If I, I don't look more like Jesus yesterday, tomorrow than I did yesterday or whatever it might be, you know? I mean, let's be careful. I, I want to be able to track that year after year I'm growing in godliness. Be really careful. Some of y'all like to keep, you know, little growth charts. You, you pencil in. I'm running off the camera. Sorry, guys. Uh, but y'all like to pencil it in for your kid, you know. They draw the little line each year to see how tall they are. <clears throat> or you go to the doctor each year. Well, a lot of times, you know, I, I didn't grow any. Well, but look, it didn't seem that way day to day. But year over year, you see that growth. Folks, are you taller in Jesus today than you were a year ago? 
Are you heavier in Jesus today than you were a year ago? Look, this also means, believers, that we look upon new believers with understanding. We expect them to progress in sanctification, but we must not expect a new believer to look like an old believer at conversion. I weigh every single morning of my life, like legitimately. I, I get up and, and I have you know, a set pattern. I brush my teeth. I get my coffee. I step on the scale. That's, that's the order. That's the way it happens. Okay, And every day I step up there and... Boom, I expect to see something. And if it's bigger than I want it to be, then in all honesty, like that, that's going to affect what I'm going to do today. Not tomorrow, today. Um, it's really bad when I go on vacation, right? Don't you love that? And there's no scale when you go on vacation. It's amazing to me how, that, how much that number can move in a week as opposed to a day. But that's because it had a week to move or a month to move. Sometimes we, we see somebody come to Jesus and we go, boom, I want you to look like Jesus today. And they step up on the scale and the scale's like, you know, if, if, it's, if it's like this, it's like sinner and saved over here. They're, they're just kind of right in the middle. Matter of fact, sometimes if we're just looking at the outside of their life, they didn't look too much different right then. Or the next day or the next day. And we begin to go, well, I wonder if it really worked. Let me tell you something. If a person called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, he saved them. It worked, period. I'll never forget a friend of mine I prayed for and prayed and prayed. I was in college. I prayed for him, and, and he finally gave his life to Jesus after literally weeks and months of laboring with that decision, of running as hard from the Lord as he could. And me and another guy had the opportunity to lead him to Jesus one night. After midnight. It was late. And we invited him to pray, and I prayed, and the other guy prayed, and then the guy we're trying to lead to Jesus didn't say anything. He just kind of sat there. And I looked at Paul, and Paul looked at me, and I said, oh, did, did it take? I mean, I don't, I don't know. And I'll never forget that young man looked up at me, my friend. He said, oh, what's next? What do I do now? And it was just God's affirmation for me in that moment. I'm worried about whether or not things happen the way I want them to, but what's next? What's God got in store next? Some of y'all are so worried about what's next that you're not doing what's now. Share the gospel. Watch God work. And look, when you share the gospel of the alcoholic and they fall off the wagon next week, don't be surprised. That doesn't mean the gospel didn't take. We got to walk with people. You know, we got to walk with them and journey with them. You share the, share the gospel with a sailor and he's cussing like a sailor and you don't understand that two weeks later he's still talking the same way. We're walking. We're slowly moving. We're trusting in the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't absolve us from responsibility, does it? We're still discipling. We're still encouraging. We're still walking with them. 
So what's that mean? That means if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you claim to have been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you don't look like Jesus, listen, you've got to reconsider your situation. Imagine you take your seven-year-old into the laundry room where you've been charting their growth year after year. And you take your seven-year-old in there and you take the ruler and you put them up against the wall and you pull your pencil out to leave the mark and they step away and you recognize that they're actually shorter at seven than they were at six. Folks, let me tell you something. In that moment as a parent, you are confident that something is wrong. If your spiritual growth chart does not show signs of improvement, you need to be looking in the mirror and asking whether or not you belong to Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit changes us. And if you don't believe me, some of you are going, where in the world did you get that from in this passage of Scripture? Watch. Verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Y'all. We go from Peter going, oh Lord God, I've never been with those kind of folks. That's in the beginning of the chapter. To the end of the chapter, he's having a slumber party at Cornelius' house. He's borrowing pajamas. Peter, will you stay? And Peter's like, eh. Here's what Peter said. He said, I wouldn't have, but today I will. I wasn't going to, but God's changed something in me. That's sanctification. If you're a believer, I, I do want to give you some encouragement. Sometimes our sanctification kind of comes and, 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 and sort of starts and stops and big steps of growth. Sometimes there are going to be experiences in your life that are going to just cause you to grow a lot in one short period of time. It might be a, might be a crisis in your life. It might be that you can look back as a teenager and you attended a particular kind of camp or as an adult and you went to some sort of conference and God just did something great. Some of you can look back and there was a, a sermon somewhere along the way that just really woke something up in you or you attended a Bible study for a few weeks. Some of you remember the time when you lost your parents and it threw you to your knees and in that place you found a greater dependence upon the Lord. There was a struggle in your marriage and in that struggle you too leaned on Jesus. And as Jesus drew you closer to him, he drew you closer to one another and he, he miraculously restored that marriage. You probably don't have a story of trying to avoid people and then going and having a slumber party at their house. But Paul does. Paul does. Because the Holy Spirit of God changed Paul, Peter, sorry. He changed Peter. And not just once, but over and over and over again. And like other believers, Peter grew and he grew and he grew. And each lesson stacked on top of the other. Look, there were still times when Peter messed up. He still sinned. We're, we're going to read where Paul confronts Peter because Peter goes back on his conviction with the Gentiles. Paul gets in his face and says, what are you doing? No, this, is, you're not, this isn't right. 
And yet, there's repentance from Peter. And Peter continues to grow. How does the Holy Spirit give evidence of God's grace and salvation? Y'all, grace is God's undeserved favor poured out on sinners. The Holy Spirit gives evidence of God's grace because the Spirit is God's agent of salvation and change. Our invitation this morning is really simple. But just because it's simple doesn't mean you should ignore it. I have one question. Are you saved? Do you belong to Jesus Christ? I, I didn't ask if others thought you belonged to Jesus. I'm not asking if you grew up in church. Or if your grandpa was a deacon. I'm not asking if I baptized you. I'm not asking if you're a life group leader here. Are you saved? We often speak of the objective realities of salvation. And the objective realities are so important. And I'm confident in this. That all who belong to Christ will belong with Him forever regardless of how we feel. Even when I might not feel saved, I'm confident in God's salvation of me. I'm not talking this morning primarily about the objective realities. I want to ask you this question. Is God your Father? Do you know Him intimately? Tenderly? Let me be honest with you. If you don't know Him as Father... If you're not comfortable running to Him when everything goes wrong. If He's not your hiding place. Your safety net. Your security blanket. Your help in times of trouble. If He's not the place you run when your world is falling apart. You probably don't know him at all. And if God is not your safe place today, he will not be your safe place in eternity. So this morning I ask, are you saved? It can be really scary and intimidating to slip out of your seat and to come down here this morning and to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I imagine it was a bit terrifying when the Holy Spirit fell upon Cornelius' household. Some of you are sitting there today and you're not really sure what's happening in your own heart and in that seat where you are because God is at work. Imagine if when the Holy Spirit sent a message to Cornelius, he had not sent someone to bring Peter. Imagine if Cornelius had disobeyed 
and had missed out on salvation. Watch. Not only for him, but for his entire household. This morning, if you won't come to Jesus for you, will you come to Jesus for the person sitting beside you? For the children in the nursery or in children's worship? Even if today you wouldn't move because of you, would you today invite God to save you so that He might change your household? My prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would move among us. And from the bottom of my heart, I believe that He is. So now the great question is whether or not you will respond. You say, Pastor, I'm 75 years old. And I warn you with these words. You will step into eternity one day and stand before your Maker. You do not want to say that you had 75 or 80 or 85 years and you never repented of your sin. So this morning, whether you're 18 or 28 or 88, there is one name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. That is the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And nothing would give me greater joy than as we are singing to see you come today. And for me to have the opportunity to help you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Stand with us as I pray. Father God in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit would break down barriers, break down walls, break down excuses. That, Father, for that one or two or three or five here today who know that they don't have a Savior, that, God, they wouldn't go home and think about it. They wouldn't worry about their neighbor That, Father God, today would be the day that perhaps a husband or a father would step out and lead his family spiritually by surrendering to Christ. Perhaps a mom would come and give her life to Jesus. Father, whomever, however, for Lord God, we are confident that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you draw those whosoever's to you today? In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. Sing.